You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our tradition, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. Today is Lagba Omer, and I must tell you, I just came back from an amazing pitching performance. I won three to two. I also lost um, three to two because I pitched for both sides. Our powerhouse uh, third graders were amazing and very good sports. So all in all, a great day, baseball, bouncy rooms, hot dogs. It was such a fun day. And the question becomes, really, first of all, what is Lagba Omer? And what does it have to do with baseball? Now, I must tell you, when I was in third grade, a very, very long time ago, I remember my teacher also pitching. That was actually in Bear Mountain Park. My memory, my recollection, it's, uh, it's in New York. Um, I don't know, 40-minute drive from Manhattan up the Palisades. Uh, my recollection is it was just a gorgeous day, beautiful fields. Um, that's all I remember. Uh, well, yeah. There's one other thing I remember. We ate, they gave us bags with what in Yiddish is called buxer. In English, you call it carob. I think most people eat carob, but you grind it up into a powder, and you use it for chocolate if you want, but nobody eats it rock hard. But they gave it to us, and you try to chew on it. It was horrible. But um, that we'll get into finding out what Lagvomer is exactly, what it represents, and perhaps... Um, I can think of a good reason what it has to do with playing baseball. So let's let's get into it. So Lagba Omer is the yard site, which means the anniversary of the death of the great Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, who was one of the famous students of the great Rabbi Akiva. He is extremely important to the Mishnah, to really to the Zohar. You've heard of Kabbalah. Any Kabbalah that you ever heard of comes from him. I'm pretty sure any Kabbalah you've ever heard of is probably not what he meant. But that could be a conversation for another day. But in any case, Rishim Bar is most famous that he authored the Zohar, which is where we get all our source of Kabbalah, that mystical level of Torah understanding, of understanding God on a higher plane. It all comes from him, and it seems that it was all written on the day he died, which was Lag Baomer. So since he brought this amazing light, this spiritual light down to the world, so we celebrate actually, the anniversary of his death, because that's the day we got this facet of Torah. Um, people celebrate it. Of course, we know it happened in Mayron last year, upwards of a million people, and then there was a tragedy and trampling, and 45 people died, unfortunately. 
And um, we're going to get into what those celebrations are about, why they do it, where it came from. But first, um, let's delve deeper into who Rib Shem was. First of all, he was one of the five students of Rabbi Akiva. We talked about um, in previous shows, Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students that died. And as I heard someone say the other day, very brilliantly, um, Rabbi Akiva was about 100 years old when those students all died. But he knew he had to start again. So he went ahead, he went to the south, and he found these five great students, or they became great. They weren't part of the original 24,000. It was a new group. And for the most part, all of Mishnah and Talmud really originates through them. Everything comes through them. So he didn't give up, and he had these five amazing students. So, um, they lived at the time after the destruction of the Second Temple, and the Romans were in charge. And the most famous story, there were three great rabbis talking. One was Rebbe, one was this Rabbi Shemai and one, I believe, was Rabbi Yaisi. And they were discussing, you know, all the things the Romans were doing. They were building marketplaces and, and you know, the roads and you know, trying to take this third world country and make it more modern or whatever their plan was. And Rebbe must have started with a comment, look at all these nice things. We have marketplaces now, we have roads, we have bridges. So beautiful. Rebbe said, not so fast. He said, you think they're doing it for us? It's all for their personal benefit. They collect taxes, they make more money, they have houses of illicit uh, whatever. In other words, uh, they're, they're all in it for themselves, their own pleasures, their own needs. They're not doing it for us. And Rabiosi was quiet. So one of the lessons from this story is you should be careful when you're having a conversation about uh, the occupier because probably someone's listening and probably that someone thinks he can make some money if he goes and tattletales to the government about this conversation. And sure enough, somebody went to the government and the Romans said, okay, the great Rebbe, because he spoke so highly of us, new rule, whenever he's with a group of rabbis, he speaks first. He has the honor, he doesn't wait for anybody, he talks first. That Rebbe Yaisi guy, he was quiet, he didn't say good or bad, so we'll just you know throw him out of town. But that Rabbi Shem is now on our most wanted list for denigrating the amazing Roman Empire. So Rabbi Shem got word of it. First he hid in an attic. His wife was bringing him food. He was afraid they would torture her. So he and his son ran away to a cave. This cave, cave, a carob tree was there, a spring of water was there, and a lot of sand. That was it. And this Rabbi Shem he went ahead and he studied with his son. There was nothing else to do. So they studied day and night. Now, interesting enough, they didn't want to ruin their clothes, so they buried themselves in sand. And they, you know, a couple times a day they got dressed so they could pray properly with clothes. And this is how they lived for the next 12 years. Somebody who could only sit and do Torah. There was nothing else they were doing. They just they didn't play cards. They didn't uh, figure out some game of baseball. They just study Torah over and deeper and more and clear. And after 12 years, they were basically angels. 
and a message, they hear a message, oh yeah, Baskol, a heavenly message, um, the decree is over. Now again, in those days, the rule was that if somebody um, made a decree, and that person who makes the decree, or his in his group, if somebody makes the decree, the person dies, um, the decree is over. So whoever, whichever Roman official had made the decree to execute Rabbi Shem he's dead. Once he's dead, it's free and safe to leave the cave. So they come out, but again, they're angels. They're, they don't, they're not from this world anymore. They, they don't know people work, people this. They, for 12 years, they've, they've been holed up studying. They come out, they see people working, they look at them, they kill people for not being as holy as them. So God quickly sends a message and says, I didn't bring you out of the cave to destroy my world. Get back in the cave. So, in other words, they needed a year. They were on such a high level, they were really like angels. They had to come down back to this world. So they come down back to this world, and they come out again after a year, and the father, Shimba Yechai, he's ready to handle people. His son's not ready yet. So the father tells the son, you know, the whole world can survive just because of me and you, and don't worry about it. Still nothing about baseball, by the way, in case you're paying attention. So it, it's what one of the things that happened. So later in his life, he dies. He's buried in, in this cave in Meron. He and his son are buried there. Um, interesting in the Talmud, other people tried to be buried there. They didn't let anybody into that cave. And I saw, I think it was this morning. I think it was this morning. Very interesting. A lot of things we do. Like if you've looked... Yeah, sometimes you see online, you see the things going on in Mayron. Now you have to see old stories because supposedly this year, instead of like 800,000 people, maybe 20,000, maybe 15,000, whatever it is, it, it, we're going to see. We're going to try to talk about it, try to figure it out. There's a reason why people want to go on the anniversary of his death, on the yard set, on Lag Baomer, to Mayron. They want to light bonfires, a very, very big honor. A lot of times, many great Rebbes will light fires. It's a very, very big deal. It's a very big honor. And people want to dance there. They, they feel that it's an opportunity um, to get more spirituality. You know, it's interesting. Um, my, sort of mechutin, it's my daughter-in-law's grandfather. He calls me up anytime it's a day of prayer. So today, special day of prayer, and he went through the whole list. And then he said, like, a beautiful line to me. And he talks to me every month or so because there's always a, whole, a great day to pray. He says to me this time, he says, you know, besides everybody else you're praying for, you're allowed to pray for yourself also. You could pray for some extra spirituality. And that was such a nice thought that I, you know, I actually appreciated that. Usually it's a, a very similar um, speech. But that line that he added was such a nice line. I told him, I said, I appreciate that line. That line, we got to take advantage of that line. So in any case, um, the the his name was Revavadim about Tanura. He wrote a, a famous commentary on the Mishnah. Um, and it seems he was involved in traveling and some history. So he writes in 1489 that he saw many people lighting torches at the grave of Shem So this torch business is uh, 
you know, 550-something years old. And you, you can be sure it didn't start then. So it's been around a very, very long time. Similar, many people know, on the anniversary of, a, again, of a yard site, um, of a parent, people will light a candle in the house. Right? There's this concept that our soul is like a candle. So here, instead of candles, they're actually like torches. I'm not sure why a torch over a candle. Let's see some of the other reasons we're going to talk about. Um, there's others who write that that Lag Omer was the day. Just told you the story how Shem went out of the cave. So some say this was the day he left the cave. So that's a celebration. Um, others say that was that we talked about that was the day he died. Um, that was the day he brought the Zohar down, the Kabbalah down. So he he lit up the world. Um, okay. There's th- another reason he was like an angel, and angels we look at an angel like fire. So I'm still trying to figure out what's got to do with baseball, but I think I know. I think I get it. I think the answer is, you know, we study with children a lot. As they go to school, the the younger children, okay, they start at ten to nine. Um, they don't even do any reading, math social studies, science, it doesn't even start till, you know, one fifteen, one thirty. And the older boys are ready in school by seven forty five. So they they put in a bunch of hours. And you know, the day is over between four and five in the afternoon. The boys put in a long day. And girls the same by the way. They put in a long day and then you come home, you get home, you get something to eat, you got homework. Some boys want to study extra. Some teachers have extra studying. There's a lot of study. We, 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 we do a lot of focus, very important to us, that our children are studious. And sometimes you got to give them a break. Sometimes you got to make life fun. Something to make school exciting. All schools do it. For some children, playing baseball is exciting. My older children, they took them to one of the parks uh, around here to go biking, which is a gorgeous day for biking. It's like 80 degrees outside. It poured yesterday, but today is gorgeous. And they'll have barbecues, and tonight uh, there'll probably be bonfires in different uh, areas in town, and people will go, and they'll sing, and they'll enjoy. Yes, there's a lot of spirituality to take out of the day. But you know what we need sometimes? Sometimes we need to tell children, let's have fun in school. That's about the summer, where you're on your own, or you'll go to camp. No, no, part of school is also having fun, because if my memories of school... I don't remember too many things from third grade. I remember getting a lollipop because um, I answered a question. I actually remember what the question was, which is really scary. Um, and I remember that like Bomber game. Much more than that, I don't really remember. So, and I probably learned a lot, and it helped me grow in my studying. But look at what I remember: a lollipop for a good question, Lagba Omer. I remember, so I have good memories of school. That means they have good memories of studying. So if I have good memories, I'm happy to study. That that concept that we have to remember, right? If Shemar Yechai is bringing down this spirituality into the world, but if we don't let people breathe, if we don't let children enjoy sometimes, then they're just going to say forget about it. It's just too boring. It's too hard. It's, it's always the same. I never get a break. No, sometimes even the most studious, especially children, that this kind of break, this kind of fun, enjoyable day, it just 
leads that leaves them with memories of how sweet it is to be in school. And school should hopefully be associated for our children with studying Torah. We we need to we need them to have that sweetness. If they have that sweetness, then they have the desire, the will, the want, the wherewithal, by the way, to go ahead and continue studying as they get older because they're gonna have these great memories. And I'm not sure why. It see, always seems there's always a lot of things at the end of the year. Again, it's part of a part of the part of a school year. We have for most of our grades, and it's like really packed in. Right? Today is uh, the middle of May. Um, we're gonna have a, another school trip for a program that's in the middle of running. Many classes will go on barbecues or their own end of year trip. So we throw in a lot of stuff at the end of the year because we get tired at the end of the year been a long haul and we need to look back and say you know this was really a great year i really was very successful this year it was a beautiful year and and that's what we want to leave them with so when next year comes they're excited to start again so it's i i think in my humble opinion that perhaps this is why it became a a thing on lagba we play baseball we do something with the children to leave them with a sweetness of everything they do. And school is also sweet, and school can also be fun. But the question is, so why is everybody, what's what's going on in Mayron? What is this big deal? So that, interesting to know, um, there's many, many stories of miracles that took place in Mayron on Lagba Omer. There's also the stories about the great rabbis who went to Mayron and they were it was such a holy place. But forgetting about that, just some beautiful stories. I jotted down a couple. The other ones are somewhere in my memory bank. They will come out, they won't come out, who knows? So for example, um, this is not such an old story, but it was when the British were in control of Palestine. So there were many, many Jews that went. I don't know if it was thousands, but for sure hundreds. And a mother brings her child. It's it's there's a custom that boys don't get a haircut till they're three years old. Or either in the third year, or after the third year, people bring their children to Mayron for a haircut on their third birthday, or certainly on Lagba Omer. It's a old, old custom. So a mother brings her child and the child dies. Um on Lag Bomber, somewhere in the vicinity of the cave where the Shem is buried. And as soon as the British see that the child died, they locked the gates. They said, oh, we need doctors here. Maybe there's disease. Maybe something's going on. All you people are quarantined. The mother takes her child, brings him into the cave, and says, Shem I prayed here four years ago for this child. You gave me this child. Now he's here for his haircut. Don't let me go home empty-handed. And she walks out. A few minutes later, there's a crying from inside the cave. I'm thirsty. People start dancing and singing. And the British open the doors because obviously no uh, disease here. But there are miracles. So that's one famous story that takes place. Here's another famous story for you. Um, as I told you, it's a big deal. To, um, to light these bonfires. Generally speaking, it's going to be like a big Rebbe, big rabbis, 
um, I was on a moshav in Israel many years ago, and happened to be I was there like Baomer. So the the rabbi of the moshav. So there's a whole the, the amount of wood they piled up. Where this wood came from, I have no idea. Huge pile of wood. And there's dancing and singing, and there's like a procession. And they hand the rabbi a torch, and he walks up to the fire, and he tosses the torch into the fire, and the thing goes up. Huge, huge fire. So it's a very, very um, old custom, like we said before, with the Baratanura. Anyways, there was a man who purchased the honor of lighting the fire. And they're singing and dancing. I mean, if you look at any of the old videos of Meron, just go look, right? Just type in M-E-R-O-N, type Lagba Omer. You're going to see all these different um, videos of people dancing and singing and from all walks of life. All walks of life people are there. Dancing, singing. So this guy is, is up there on the roof, and he falls off the roof, and he breaks his legs. And no one hears him. There's so much yelling and screaming and dancing and and hullabaloo, whatever you want. No one heard him. Finally, some guy passed by, sees he's there, and he goes over to help him. And he, he says, I can't walk. I broke my leg. So he drags him to some room nearby. So he says, there's no doctors here. Um, this is, again, an older story. Um, let me take my wagon. It'll probably take me a couple hours. Um, I'll dr- I'll go to the city, and I'll bring a doctor back. There's, there's, uh, you can't survive on my wagon. We've got to get you a doctor. So the man comes back hours later. He goes to the room, and the guy's not there. He's not there. He's looking, looking, hunting, looking. What happened to the guy? He broke his legs. He couldn't move. He could not move. Where is the guy? Um, he finally finds the guy, and the guy's dancing. He said, I don't understand. A few hours ago, you couldn't move. Your legs were broken. What happened? He said, I'll tell you a crazy story. Um, I'm lying there, and Rav Shem comes in, and he says, since I caused so much celebration and rejoicing, he owed it to me to heal me, and here I am walking. So you can do whatever you want with these stories. They're not telling these stories about me and you. Right? Miracle stories are saved for bigger people. But there's multiple stories over the years of miracles happening. So whatever you want to do with those stories, at the end of the day, these stories are happening. People talk about these stories. And therefore, Meron became a place where people would go for prayers, for miracles, um, but really for prayers for the gamut of things that they wanted or needed. And many, many prayers are answered on this day and certainly there. So... Over time, it just became a special day and a special place to go. Unfortunately, the Israeli government was uh, incapable of uh, fixing up the roads, the access the, to allow the crowds to come. It was easier to say, we can't handle people, so nobody's coming. So, uh, And those people, some of them have already resigned because they did a very poor job. So what will be, as far as I know this year, I didn't really look yet. But I don't think anything major happened. Uh, hopefully in the future, they'll get the right people in charge to fix it up so so people can uh, start going again. So I see I have probably a minute or so left. So we started talking last week. So we're going to keep trying to throw in a few of these as, uh, as we get closer to the Shavuot holiday. We said there's 48 ways. The Mishnah says there's 48 ways... Um, 
to acquire Torah knowledge. So we had a list last week, and I have a few more that we want to talk about this week. So one of them is called Joy. Very fascinating, which is really very apropos for today, right? Because we're talking about Rishim Baruch we're talking about the dancing and the singing. Joy. God hangs out with happy people. By the way, it's the same with prophecy. You cannot, not today, no one's getting prophecy, but in the days of prophecy, if you weren't in a happy, joyous mood, you weren't getting any prophecy. However, we're going to have to stop right here because there goes the music. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Of course, thank you all my wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David, Cisco, and Andy in the back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on, on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.